Good morrow to you all. You have fallen on bad times. Brought to you by Royal Holloway's Shakespeare Society. You join me, Cassie Dixon. And me, Jack Hardman, as we bear some bardy truths. Hello everyone and welcome back to Bard Times. This is your host Jack Hardman and with me today are the wonderful Ruben and Matteo. Say hi guys. Hello. Hello. So, uh, I have I have these wonderful men on for uh, to talk today about the shows that they are going to be involved in. So, uh, here we have Ruben talking about uh, Savoy Opera Society's show this term, Patience. And I also have uh, Matteo on talking about uh, his play with, well, he's MDing, um, um, called Amelior with Rucker's Theatre Company. So, both of you, you are obviously both involved in music. You are both MDs on the shows that you are currently involved in. You uh, both study music or have studied, in your case, Ruben. Um, and... Yeah, obviously music is an incredibly wide topic, and I suppose I have to ask you both, is there any like particular applications of music, be it video games, film, theatre, opera, anything like that, that kind of really gets you going and, and really like you vibed with straight away, you clicked with straight away? Um, I think for me, um, it was it's probably like the biggest one for me is film music. Um <clears throat> Like, obviously, to an extent, like, um, I, I really love musical theatre, really love opera, really love um, video game music, TV music, like, all, all the rest of it, music for, incidental music for theatre and stuff, but um, the one for me, I think, is uh, got to be film music. Like, um, it just, like, a lot of the time, when, when done really well, it just can go so, like, n- nicely hand-in-hand with the narrative, um, and, like, um, yeah. I don't know, there's just something, like, quite magical about that. Yeah. I actually couldn't agree more. The whole the whole thing with film, I think there is there's I think the perfect example and I gush about this film all the time because it's it's one of my favorite films. Um but The Social Network um by David Fincher and, and Aaron Sorkin, the music that goes with that is so perfectly like it sets the tone for all the different stages of that film so well. Um uh, like just shows how that can be so unbelievably effective in different situations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, it's interesting <clears throat> that you mentioned film music because I think definitely for me, definitely growing up, I think that was a big part of what got me into it in general. I think just sort of how it would, because I watched a lot of films and a lot of TV when I was younger. Yeah. And it was just how the music would stick with me, particularly in how, like said, Matteo, in sort of how it can help sort of hammer home the emotional response that the film is trying to convey and in general i think particularly nowadays it's music that gets an emotional response out of me and can tell a story um which is a big part of the reason why i love musical theater for instance and it's not it's not just like what's being conveyed in like the vocals um but also what's going on underneath and sort of the little details underneath all that and sort of how they convey sort of like I said, those small details about the story as well, um, and be, especially because yeah. music, it's such a unique universal language that anybody can really kind of understand, and yeah, n- nothing does it quite like music. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, I mean, you're, I couldn't agree more. There's, there's, it's funny you bring up musical theatre, because there's uh, firstly something that we are all involved in, or have been involved in at some point. Um, we're big musical boys. Indeed. <laughs> and 
One of my favourite shows at the moment is uh, Hamilton, which I know is not a hot take. It's it's a very like. Well, by the way, I'm a big fan of cheese sometimes as well. <laughs> I think Hamilton is a really good example of something that uses or or something like Les Mis again. Not a hot take. Uh, no matter where I am, who I'm with, how many times I've listened to it, uh, it's quiet uptown will make me cry. Uh, there is like there is no control I have over that, and it's just because of the music and the music being so unbelievably powerful, especially when c- accompanied with the story. In in terms of like mo- motif like that, um, Hamilton, um, and even just general like concept, Hamilton is mm. such as a show is just so has been put together so carefully yeah um in terms of that use of motif where um again saying that is really big in film music and is um kind of slightly less so nowadays than in the early days of film and it kind of stole it from um Wagner and opera yeah um of using like um loads of motifs and it again it happens a little bit less so nowadays in film but Hamilton really does that a lot um, it also does a really nice thing what you were saying before about uh, sort of like the overall concept. Like with Hamilton, it does a really nice thing of um, everything about the show is like conceptually consistent, sure. which I think is why it's yeah. such a, con- uh, a satisfying show to watch. Um, is like the the music and the the set and the costume and the and the direction and the performances and everything just feels like it belongs together because it all kind of matches stylistically. Yeah. Which I think is like always the goal when you're putting on a show. Yeah. Um, is to make sure it all kind of lines up like in that kind I of mean, satisfying way. A massive part of... I. This is just going to end up just us talking about Hamilton, which don't get me wrong, I would absolutely <laughs> adore. I love it. Um, but the whole thing about the show, about how basically ambition yeah. changes as you age... Yeah. Um, that kind of being one of the central themes of the, like central themes of the show. Yeah, um, absolutely. And how the music then matches that, and how the musical style starts with like, oh, we're doing some, we're doing some like really fast hip hop. We're doing some like very kind of upbeat, staccato, powerful like, um, is it Guns and Ships? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like. Or like my shot or something like that, and then we go into like as he ages, it all slows down, and we see his son a little bit, and he is again like. But... Yeah, it's, it's it is really interesting. I, I I like kind of like echo what you said, Jack. Like we will move on from Hamilton, but um, <laughs> it does um, something really interesting. There's a like a very very small um, uh, like kind of like behind the scenesy kind of documentary thing about. Um, that Limeron Miranda and um, Alex Lacamoire and I can't remember off the top of my head the director of Hamilton. Shame on me. Yeah, um, but basically, the, the mainly the musical director um, and orchestrator uh, Alex Lacamoire with um, Limeron Miranda talking about how they developed the characterization and the difference in characterization between Burr and Hamilton in the way that they um, presented them because obviously throughout the entire show, um, Hamilton actually does very little. Well, I say little does less singing and more rapping. Yeah. And Bird does almost no rapping at all. Um which is yeah. a really interesting way of, of presenting the two men of, of kind of Hamilton being like 
burrowing off the mouth and like trying to like big himself up and being like you said like big energy like even even kind of later on still being like that force mm. and bird being this character who's like no i'm gonna take my tongue and try and weigh everything out and so he sings he yeah. doesn't rap he doesn't try and spit all the words out he's just like no i'm gonna let that's, like that's and see what happens really really interesting they are like, just it's... as characters they are staccato and legato like in body man amazing amazing Let's talk about something else. But also, actually, on a slightly the same topic, um, Star Wars. Like, there's yeah. like something that uses motifs all all the time. I mean, that's John Williams' kind of forte. I mean, he does it in all his films. Worship just... John Williams. Yes, yeah. exactly. Pray, pray, pray to him. Praise him. I praise mean, him. But he is genuinely just a god at this type of stuff, though, because he really kind of makes the music its own character like um like not just in star wars but also like jaws as well like you know when yeah. you have that um just that two note mo- it's yeah, literally, literally two, two of the most powerful notes in the entire exactly. film yeah <laughs> it, it's an amazing thing I, I don't know if any of you have seen it but you can find like clips on youtube of um jaws the scene where they first encounter the shark without the music yeah and it's just people looking at the ocean yeah. it's the most boring thing <laughs> on the on wow, the exactly planet it. because it's just a couple people looking slightly panicked and then clips of the ocean and so there's just nothing to it but then obviously you put the, the iconic themes and stuff over it and it completely exactly. transforms it that's exactly yeah. it and you know it, that saved them a lot of trouble because you know I think they wanted to show the shark itself a lot more but because of uh, big technical difficulties um, <laughs> they kind of had to rely on the music in a way um, but yeah, it just yeah. makes it so much more effective yeah yeah I think it's oh yeah, this is basically us just being fans of music, <laughs> yeah. man. It's a really, really similar story actually with uh, Bernard Herrmann and Psycho, because he originally didn't want what? a score at all. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Hitchcock didn't want a score at all, and the yeah. when he was originally yeah. filming it. And uh, Bernard Herrmann came up to him and was like, "Come hold, on, play. hold my no, beer." Come on. Yeah, um, yeah, literally. Yeah. And so he wrote, he wrote the um, the really famous, you know, eh, 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 shower, uh, shower yeah. scene. Um, and then Hitchcock was like. Apparently, a director who very, very rarely changed his mind yeah. um, was immediately kind of went, "Oh, you're right. <laughs> oh God, you're right." And he um, uh, put that score in, it. and that really transforms that film as well. Mm. Okay, well, amazing. Um, so, when did you guys when did you guys realize that kind of music was something that you really wanted to get into and study and kind of engage in? Um, I think for me, there wasn't really like a specific moment where I was kind of like that. I think it was kind of a lot of um, just factors which kind of fed into it. So I think a big thing is the fact that I come from a very musical family. Um, My mum works as a um, violin and piano teacher at a prep school. Literally, her and my dad met while they were playing in an orchestra. They were doing um, Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet, which <laughs> I know. Um, and yeah, like my brother and my sister, they're both really into their music. Like they always go to, you know, um, big music festivals, or at least they would in normal times. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think so. Music was kind of all around me. Um, during mm. uh, my upbringing and I think also what was kind of a part of it was it was kind of a big part of my prep school as well and right. there were a lot of um I kind of felt like a lot of other stuff at school I wasn't very good at like sport especially you know my school was very sporty if I felt like everybody in my year was good at sport except me so music in a way was kind of a thing I found I could like when we were having music lessons it was one of those things I found I could kind of latch on to and I found yeah. myself 
being quite knowledgeable about it. And I was like, oh, I can, I can actually get down with this. And yeah, I think, yeah, it was kind of there where I realized, you know, music, it's not just a thing you just kind of have on in the background. It really can be mm. a passion and yeah. a dream that you can follow. Yeah. So, yeah. So we heard Ruben kind of just being bored into it and also through school. <laughs> um, what about you? I kind of had almost the exact opposite. So I'm not from okay. a musical family at all. Um, I, um, my, no, no one else in my family plays an instrument. None of them particularly sing. None of them are, are remotely musical in that sense. Um, I, when I was uh, maybe about seven or eight, I started taking guitar lessons just because I wanted to learn. Sure. Um, and then when um, I, I came here, I then, um, the school that I came to here was um, really, really quite a highly musical school. Um, really the closest thing we could, you could come to being like a specialist school without actually being a specialist school. Sure. Music was definitely our thing. Um, and so kind of through that, I kind of just fell into it. And so I started, um, like, I think it's my world, not even, kind of like fell into playing brass. <laughs> um, sure. Kind of literally just fell into it. And then from there, kept playing, then kind of... Uh, picked it kind of by a fluke because I wasn't going to pick it for GCSEs and then it was um, I wanted to do separate sciences and it wasn't in the same block so I had to um, I had to pick something else and do <laughs> dual and so I did music and then I really really loved it and you then were, hang on it you went A-level. to a music specialist school and you weren't going to pick music well because we didn't go for that reason oh right um, okay we, no yeah no it, it, okay. it wasn't like an actual special school it's just that it's thing was, <laughs> okay. was, was music i was a little um, confused yeah. <laughs> there i'm, no, no, I'm it's back just on the, board the, i'm back on board the the schools where it really excelled was music and sure. um so i almost didn't take it then took it for, uh, for gc and really loved it then really kind of like threw myself into it um and then kind of bit by bit basically decided to come to do a uni and want to pursue it afterwards which is a bit like a mad stroke of luck but i man i i completely feel you some of the the big thing and uh well i was gonna say my friends will know this anyone who has met me in the past six months will know this uh D is something that i have fallen into always comes uh, back to D. it always comes back to ruben lives with me so he has to put up with a lot of this but um the literally I, it's something I fell into accidentally, and I now hopefully uh, want to kind of pursue that outside of, like, just a hobby. Um, mm. And so if that is possible. But so I totally get, like, the whole, yeah, well, I just kind of started doing it, because why mm. not? And then, oh, my God, I love this. What? I I, I was never meant to love this. Mm-hmm. What's going on? <laughs> um, Ruben. Hello. You are currently working on Savoy Opera Society's production of Patients. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could share us any insights into the kind of the concept, uh, the setting, the themes, anything like that. Yeah, of course. So uh, Patients, so it's obviously a um, comic operetta uh, written by Gilbert and Sullivan. Um, and sort of the whole idea with the original uh show is that it's satirizing the aesthetic movement within the arts throughout the late victorian period um for people who don't know aestheticism is basically to do with the idea that art should be beautiful over having like a deep moral or deep message behind it and it's also sort of had a stronger focus on self-expression rather than 
uh, sort of conforming to like traditional modernist values and that sort of stuff. Um, so with our particular uh, version, so um, the original story is set in like a medieval castle. We've moved ours to a 1970s university setting. Um, and I think, because um, obviously we wanted to move it to a more modern setting that a um, contemporary audience would more easily sort of be able to recognise. Um, and particularly because this whole idea of, um, you know, uh, you know, sort of, um, ah, postmodernism versus um, aestheticism, um, it's still present even to this day. Um, and we felt particularly sort of the 1970s was a particularly sort of um, interesting period to look at in that sense uh, because again a lot of um, a lot of musical artists especially you know they were very much they were very much sort of they all had a very strong aesthetic which they really right. kind of um, showcased um, and we kind of have that in our productions like for example um, Bun Thorne who's one of the main characters and he's like an aesthetic poet um, he's yeah. going to be modelled on um uh, on Elton John and right. Um, oh God, character names. I should know this. Um, Grove Grover. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it would be helpful, wouldn't it? Uh, Grove Grover is going to be uh, modelled on David Bowie. That sort of thing. And particularly, sort of the university setting we thought would be appropriate again because um, it's sort of a setting which a modern audience would more easily get on board with. But also because a lot of the aspects of the story. Can really kind of relate to a university setting because it's a lot about characters sort of constantly reinventing themselves again in order to sort of um, please the masses. Um, it's like, for example, um, the chorus of um, the maidens and the dragoons who are in our version are like these um, scholars. Um, the dragoons especially are constantly sort of um, reinventing because the maidens are constantly falling in love with different characters. At one point, they're in love with Bunthorn. Right. At one point, they're in love with um, with Grosvenor. So the dragoons are constantly changing their aesthetic in order to try and match with what the maidens <laughs> so, are. So almost for. like the uh, just swathes of adoring fans of yeah. like, oh my god, Justin Bieber. Oh my god, One Direction. Oh my god, yeah. whatever <laughs> is whatever's currently having K-pop. I think perhaps. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's hip. I don't know what's hip. <laughs> we can put that on the record. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Um, that's that's really cool. The, so the whole aestheticism thing, that's that's really interesting. It's like, it's like the opposite of... There, there's, there was something a while ago now, I think about a year ago, maybe a year and a bit ago, uh, where Banksy did this thing where a piece of his art sold and then as after it was sold, it then got shredded... <laughs> Yeah, I and it's kind of like that. the complete opposite of that. Um, it's like, uh, well, who who gives a you know a, a monkeys about what what this looks like? It's about what it represents that that matters. Yeah. It's it's almost. Do you know what's really interesting though? It's like stuff like that has has kind of been blooming a lot recently. While which is a complete divergence to the modern kind of thinking of. Um, you know, social media, let, let's pop up uh, the most amount of everything that we can, mm. and oh, look at how look at how pretty I am, yes. and oh, look, I'm going to pose in this position, and I'm going to pose, and there's yes. whole things about like how to pose in order to kind of make yourself seem almost like uh, this kind of Barbie doll, Ken doll, kind yeah. of uh, mm -hmm. whatever doll you want to be. Um, like, 
representation of yourself. Um, yeah. In- fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think I think also about the whole reinventing yourself and setting it in a university, that's such a, like... That's such a, I, I don't know, certainly for... I felt like when I came to... I don't know, it, interrupt me if you disagree, but I certainly felt like when I came to uni... Um, I was like, I'm gonna be, I'm, I'm gonna be so different to how I was at home. I'm gonna like, <laughs> I'm gonna re- I'm gonna have my hair cut in a different way. Yeah. I'm gonna start acting more like. I'm gonna be slightly less. I think a large one was I was like, I'm gonna be less camp. That was one of my big, my yeah. Well, that, <laughs> how successful that was. Um, I've done what? How many shows with MTS? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, only, only two. Yeah. Uh yeah. yeah oh, <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um uh yeah. <laughs> so, uh obviously we are not just here to promote the show of Ruben Havelock. We are also here to uh to promote to promote uh Amelior. Did I say that right? Did I say that right? That's Amazing. Right. Um for uh with Matteo with Matteo. So Give us uh, same question to you. Can you give us some kind of insights into the setting, into the themes, into the concepts? Yeah, absolutely. So um, basically, it's uh, a brand new show that we're in the process of um, sort of like writing and putting on for uh, Camden Fringe this year, um, and it the, it it basically follows this um, the story in a brief period of um, the lead character's life, the lead character uh, called Amelia, um, and it aims to put the the voice of the, the black queer female voice into kind of the center um in a way that obviously musical theater hasn't tended to do so in sure. um years gone by and so it basically follows um the story of the lead character in her handling of relationships both romantic and sort of familial um also her interaction with uh the representation of her mental health and uh, sort of uh, medication and um, how that can kind of like all spiral out of control um, with kind of leaving the the kind of ending message of the closest thing that to a happy ending that people can kind of reasonably expect in a modern age like um, you know um, I think a lot of the time musicals can either have the being super depressing at the end or super optimistic at the end and I think um, this does a really good job of trying to find a middle ground of uh, essentially like a message of improvement um a yeah. message of, of of constantly trying to um w- like work on oneself yeah just get like as long as you're you don't need to be perfect but as long as you're one step further than you were yesterday yeah. then you're winning yeah, exactly yeah it's like um exactly. kind of like dear evan hansen like that that's... kind of that kind of yeah that kind of uh message at the end yeah where it's like yeah you were not great here um mm. but you're a slightly better now and yeah. that's okay. Kind of, at least for me, I think a really, really, another vital kind of message of that, um, particularly nowadays with, with, with COVID and things, of, of, of kind of the ever-changing uh, kind of circumstances we found ourselves in, is that the the ability to figure things out yeah. instead of trying to be like, this is what's going to happen. Like, you know, like, I've, I've done this, and so this is going to happen next. Yeah. Instead of being like, I've done this, and this is where I want to go, but how exactly that happens will depend on how I get there. Kind of instead challenging of being expectation like... versus reality. Exactly, yeah. That exa- honestly sounds amazing. I, I cannot wait to see it. Yeah. I cannot wait to see it. <laughs> um, you, have to, you have to 
push tickets on me when uh... yeah i mean i'll 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 take the chance to plug right now camden fringe um upstairs at the gatehouse second to the 6th of august amazing uh tickets are on oh, sale oh okay okay we will we'll we'll figure something out soon amazing so okay i'm really excited um so on to the next question both of you we're talking about doing stuff over Zoom and, and kind of the trials and tribulations of, of dealing with Zoom. Um, what do you think are the main drawbacks of doing rehearsals over Zoom and doing rehearsals kind of remotely? And are there any benefits? And do you think that those benefits might mean that there are some rehearsals done this way in the future? I think definitely as a whole, so the main drawback is... You just don't... I mean, this kind of goes for any kind of virtual rehearsal, whether it's directing, choreographing, is that you just don't get that same amount of feedback. Um, You know, it's just not the same as being in the rehearsal room. You know, it's not as immediate being able to tell how your cast are doing in terms of picking it up. And I think definitely the main thing that I miss with virtual rehearsing is you're not able to immediately like listen to the cast and sort of um hear whether they're picking it up and hear how it all sounds together until you get to the final recording which is always you know a big shame i think particularly for the cast cuz part of the magic is you know being on the stage with everybody else and you know yeah. being able to listen and feel like you're really blending in to create this big sound and you know at the end of the day with virtual shows at the end of the day when you're recording all you're doing is you're just you just have a track going through your ear you're in your room and you're just singing it with nobody else um yeah yeah i i would say one of the benefits to that maybe not to veteran performers but something that that has actually just jogged in my mind is actually during topsy-turvy i felt like i learned a lot about reading music while singing because I had, I didn't have the pressure of, okay, I'm in the rehearsal room, I need to do it now. I had it, like, on my own. I was there, I had to figure it out for myself. But that being said, that might work, that works for me. I do not think I'm in the majority there at all. Mm. Um, and that whole thing you were saying about, like, missing the magic of, of things, I completely agree. I've, just today we did some filming for... Um, Shakespeare's upcoming show Measure for Measure and it was great I loved it bigger you know big shout out as per every week to uh, Theo Dudridge and the director uh, Meadow Capon who yeah you're incredible you're incredible <laughs> both of you I know Meadow love listening. you guys um, but the um, like the honestly the fun of rehearsing in person is just it's just next to nothing else so news this week i want to highlight this because i think it's incredible um bo burnham the comedian has released his uh comedy special called inside if you don't know him bo burnham is a massive kind of uh YouTube sensation turned comedian turned actor turned director um, who has basically spent the last year creating something in lockdown which deals with the themes of how people can stay like how and why to stay creative during lockdown but also how scary it is to go back out into 
the real world and using that i think i want to talk to you both about kind of whether you think things now that things are opening up again and larger venues are starting you know cinemas are opening up and and theaters and uh sports events and clubs and you know everything um do you think it is going to be like everyone flocks back or or do you think it's going to be more of a gradual kind of what's going to happen <laughs> kind of a more tentative return to normality i think with live music and particularly musical theater i think it will be a case of flocking back i think um obviously there's a lot there'll, there'll be a lot of people who are anxious and concerned about going back and i think very justifiably so um but i think the the performing arts has been um very particularly suffered as as particularly suffered this uh yeah this during this pandemic mm. in a way that i think a lot of other industries absolutely have been able to try and get around that performing arts have struggled to particularly obviously like yeah. live theater and live mm. concerts because mm. um you can't you can't um it's not the same going watching a live stream as it is going in person and no matter how yeah. good quality the live stream is it will never be no. the same um, and that obviously yeah. means that they're not able to charge as much and able to sustain it etc i mean i know personally that i mean i'm very keen to go back and see live theaters again because like you said it's just such a unique experience which i think so many people have missed so sorely but mm. i definitely will be cautious about it because definitely when we went to see pirates as much as i enjoyed the show in terms of being in the actual theater yeah. i didn't feel particularly safe because there wasn't much social distancing and a lot of people were not wearing masks so i was genuinely quite concerned especially because i was actually performing in a live show uh, we, I was working on Ruckus's uh, production of Romeo and Juliet at that point, so obviously I wanted to be extra careful that I didn't catch the disease. But yeah, definitely, I mean, hopefully that might improve now because, you know, it's been longer since then, and obviously we've had much more vaccinations since then. Um, so yeah, I think hopefully that, that I have the feeling more people will be eager to get back to it, but like you said, Mateo, there'll definitely be people erring on the side of caution as well, which is also completely understandable and like it'll definitely take some adjusting i think it'll also just be um for performers which is and even to be fair for even um theater goers really emotional uh the first time you're back um i've been very fortunate obviously with with amelio being able to rehearse uh in person with ruckus um yeah and also uh the university uh i'm doing some stuff with the orchestra where they're able to do some things in person um I remember the first time being in those rehearsal spaces with everyone, obviously still social distancing, obviously when we're uh, not playing in masks and things, but um, just, it, it was just, it, it was a bit of a moment of like, right, we're actually getting getting somewhere now. Um, and I think it's just going to be quite emotional for people when, when they come yeah, back. I think, I think you're absolutely right. But you know what? It's, it doesn't look like it's that much further away when you think about the fact that we have now been in this pandemic for a year and a half um it yeah. doesn't look it looks like we 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 can see that bright little light at the end of the tunnel and honestly couldn't be more excited on mm. that note um i think that we are going to end it there um mm. so uh also fun little fact to everyone listening at home We've actually recorded this podcast. This is the second time round we've recorded it. There was what might, to my surprise, vastly different topics talked this time. I'm, but also, yeah. 
it's been a great it's been a great time. You guys won't get to see the other one uh, because we forgot mm. to re- we forgot to press record, so that's okay. <laughs> so yeah, we've recorded this twice. So uh, yeah. hopefully you guys enjoyed it uh, the second time round we've done it. But I need to close this off, and so I have to ask you both: what your favourite Shakespeare plays are? I'm certainly no Shakespeare expert. Uh, but I, I feel like I'd have to mention Romeo and Juliet because I'm a huge sucker for West Side Story. It is my favourite musical of all time. Um, I mean, gen- and also after being in the play, I think it is genuinely a beautifully written show and particularly West Side Story, the way it uses that story as well. Um, I think I'd also mention Much Ado About Nothing. I think my favourite comedy of his, which, because it's just brilliant, and Beatrice and Benedict are just legends. So um, I think I will also stake my hand up and say that I am no Shakespeare person at all and my only experience to Shakespeare um, uh, was at school studying Macbeth and briefly Romeo and Juliet and so um, I'm really no no Shakespeare person at all. Um, I'd probably have to say, also say Romeo and Juliet only on uh, for the only reason that I also love West Side Story and I feel like that is the closest I can come to, the closest that I've come to, to Shakespeare, really. If none of the rest of you could tell, I've got two musical theatre kids on today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was about to yeah. say. What was meant to be a music-oriented uh, podcast, and it ended up us talking, honestly, more about kind of story structure and stuff like that, which is super... Plus Hamilton. Super, and Hamilton, <laughs> yes. Um, which is super cool. Um, I, yeah, I think ex- expectation being the theme. Let's put expectation by the wayside um and and just look forward to whatever is coming our way i think so thank you all for joining me this week for bard times this has been jack hardman with my lovely friends mateo and ruben and in the words of the bard himself talking about expectations once again we know what we are but not what we may be